Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry Savannah, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your friend, your host, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman Esquire. Back from another trip this time to Austin, Texas, where uh, I was performing in this weird complex. It's called the Domain, and it's basically it's a it's like a mall that you live in. It's weird. It's like it's mostly a commercial neighborhood. Basically, it's like you wander the streets, and it's like you're wandering through a mall. And then above the mall shops, there's like apartments. So it's like you live in a mall. It's very peculiar, very sterile, very strange, and uh, not a place I could ever imagine myself living in. But apparently, it's popular. Apparently, folks just love it. A local friend of mine told me that people brag about living in the domain. I mean, it's called the domain. Doesn't that sound like, it sounds like a, what the zoo in Slaughterhouse-Five would be named. You know, where they where they, they put humans for the alien creatures to observe. It seems like in the alien language, it would be called the domain. It's just peculiar. I didn't, I didn't care for it at all. Although, I did have myself a terrific ice cream cone while I was there. And, the, and it's like high-end shops. You know, it's like weird. It's like there's a neighborhood of like bars and then, and then you turn the corner and then there's a neighborhood of like Gucci and Louis Vuitton. And it's just, it's so bizarre that somebody would want to live in that. Um, but, you know, apparently people do. One thing Americans can never be faulted for and that is having terrible taste. We've got it in spades. <sighs> it was a good weekend, though. Had a lot of fun. Had a couple terrific comics. 
But, you know, I'm a little frustrated, and I'm going through something that a lot of comedians are going through right now. Successful comedians, and, and I will call myself, for the sake of this argument, a successful comedian, which is that there's, there is no outlet anymore for us to put out our wares. It's similar in a way to the recording industry, similar but different, because people don't consume comedy the same, the same way that they consume music. You can listen to music on Spotify or whatever, and people do, and, and the artists, of course, don't really get paid for that. In the comedy world, really, you're, the realm of the coin is the comedy special. And, you know, you think to yourself, you get to a certain level, you should be able to get comedy specials. There's so many streaming platforms and so many places to be able to do them. But the fact of the matter is, for people in my particular situation, and by, and that situation is like second-tier, kind-of-known comedians, but not first-tier comedians or young comedians who are sort of up-and-coming, uh, there's really no place for us. And this is, of course, the burden of the white man, because there is just no appetite for white male comedians at the moment, unless you're, you know, top tier, in which case it's fine. The cutoff, I think, seems to be Patton Oswalt. You know, Patton, who's a, obviously a tremendous comedian, I think he's the cutoff. Like, I think he's sort of the lowest level white male middle-aged comedian who can get a special. And uh, below that, and I'm considerably below that, you just can't, you know, like David Cross, uh, who you would think, well, David Cross, he should be able to get a special. Apparently not. He had to, I know he had to self-fund his own special, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm well below David Cross too. So it's like, there's just no hope for a fellow like me. And what sucks is, and I say this without apology or, or without uh, any braggadocio whatsoever, the current hour of comedy that I'm doing is the best hour of comedy I've ever done. It is very good. I, re- I, 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 I really believe that. It's just, it's laughs all throughout, wall-to-wall laughs, you know? And I just don't have a way of getting it out there. And it's frustrating to me, especially because I want to retire this hour of comedy and move on to the next one. But it seems like a shame to me that I just won't have, you know, been able to put it out in any significant way. I, I could record it, I suppose, as a, as a, album or something self-produced, but nobody listens to comedy albums, you know? So it's just terrible. God, my life is terrible. God damn it. What a horrible life I lead. But so that's, you know, I, I wrestle with that every time I do a show and, and uh, just because I know it's good, you know? And, and I would tell you if it wasn't. I would tell you, you know, if it was in shit condition. It's not. It's in very good condition. It, it's as good an hour it, it, like the, the 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 shape that it's in right now is as good as it's going to get, and I just don't have a I just don't I just don't have anything to do with it. It, it sucks. It sucks for me. Urgh, stretching. I literally just got in. Urgh, just landed, but I wanted to. I wanted to record right away, you know, because I miss you guys so much, and I miss all the doings there, Wuthering Heights, and all the 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 drama. You know how I love drama. Well. There's been some aplenty. You know, everybody's dying and dead. And Isabella is dead. You know, she's got her kid. And what's-his-face is dead. Henley, is that his name? He's dead. And then you got these kids just kind of floating around. And Heathcliff just sort of lord of the manor now, just presiding over his dismal slum. So let's pick it up with Chapter 18, Wuthering Heights. (laughs) 
I'll just give you the last paragraph of the, of the previous end of uh, chapter. Hareton, who should now be the first gentleman in the neighborhood, was reduced to a state of complete dependence on his father's inveterate enemy. So Hareton, you remember, who should be the inheritor of Wuthering Heights, uh, is not getting it because his dad borrowed all this money to gamble from Heathcliff. So now he's just stuck there as basically a servant. You know, and Heathcliff controls the whole thing. He's quite unable to right himself because of his friendlessness and his ignorance that he has been wrong. So he doesn't even know that he's been wrong. That's how, that's how pathetic, stupid Hareton is. Of course, we don't care much about Hareton because he was hanging dogs by the neck, you know, the last time we really spent any time with him. Anyway, chapter 18. The 12 years, oh, so now this is Lockwood, Lockwood speaking. The 12 years, continued Mrs. Dean, following that dismal period were the happiest, oh, no, so no, uh, no, it's, no, it, um, wait, what? This is, this is just bad writing right here, because it says the 12 years continued Mrs. Dean, right, following that dismal period, were the happiest of my life. There's no, I guess it's not bad writing, okay, so why is it saying continued Mrs. Dean if she's narrating? Because, because in all the other, every other time she talks, it's just in the first person, of course, he's ordered me to take him, I replied. I replied. But then why is it now suddenly third person when referring to Mrs. Dean, referring to, you know, you know, you understand what I'm saying. It's, uh, it's a little bit confusing. It's bad writing, but we'll go on. The 12 years, continued Mrs. Dean, following that dismal period were the happiest of my life. My greatest troubles in their passage rose from our little lady's trifling illnesses, which she had to experience in common with all children, rich and poor. So you remember this is uh, this is uh, Catherine Jr. Catherine and what's his face is Edgar's kid. Urgh, although she doesn't call her Catherine, she refuses to. She calls her Kate or Kathy or something. For the rest. After the first six months, she grew like a larch and could walk and talk too in her own way before the heath blossomed a second time over Mrs. Linton's dust. She was the most winning thing that ever brought sunshine into a desolate house, a real beauty in face with the Earnshaw's handsome dark eyes but the Linton's fair skin and small features and yellow curling hair. Her spirit was high, though not rough, and qualified by a heart sensitive and lively to excess in its affections. That capacity for intense attachments reminded me of her mother. Still, she did not resemble her, for she could be soft and mild as a dove, and she had a gentle voice and pensive expression. Her anger was never furious, her love never fierce. It was deep and tender. Well, now that doesn't sound like mother at all. Mother was a pain in the ass. Mother was, uh, you know, too high strung. Every you know, big ultimate drama queen, literature's ultimate drama queen, and uh, so it's good that the kid, you know, didn't inherit any of that. She's just a just a mild mannered little chickadee. And aren't we falling in love with her? Uh, yes, we are. I mean, just by the description, we're all our hearts already going just a little bit pitter patter for this 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 adorable little girl with all the best features of the of the two households. However, it must be acknowledged she had faults to foil her gifts. Well, that's fine. We all have faults, and if uh, Emily there had painted her as an impeccable little child, we would have thought, well, that's not very believable at all. Let's see what those faults are, shall we? A propensity to a propensity. A propensity 
to be saucy was one, and a perverse will that indulged children invariably acquire, whether they be good-tempered or cross. If a servant chanced to vex her, it was always, I shall tell Papa, and if he reproved her, even by a look, you would have thought it a heartbreaking business. I don't believe he ever did speak a harsh word to her. So maybe she's a little bit spoiled and maybe she's a little bit saucy. But what gal isn't uh, isn't those things every now and again? You know, we just love, we love our little girls, don't we? We just dote on them, don't we? And we try to be mad at them, but uh, they see right through us. Oh, God, we're just, we're, we're, we're simple folk, us, us papas, you know? Our gals just pierce us right to the core, and we can't stay mad at him. He took her education entirely on himself and made it an amusement. Fortunately, curiosity and a quick intellect urged her into an apt scholar. She learned rapidly and eagerly and did honor to his teaching. Till she reached the age of 13, she had not once been beyond the range of the park by herself. Oh, yeah, because you know, you know what lurks right outside there. Right, out, right outside the borders, you know what lurks. And you can say, oh, danger. But it's not danger. It's a very specific danger. It's, it's the long shadow of Heathcliff. You know, we can almost picture him just hanging by the hedges, just waiting his teeth bared, waiting to draw blood from that innocent soul. He's just, he's just, he just can't wait, can he? He's a fiend. Mr. Linton would take her with him a mile or so outside on occasions, but he trusted her to no one else. Gimmerton was an unsubstantial name in her ears. The chapel, the only building she had approached or entered, except her own home. Wuthering Heights and Mr. Heathcliff did not exist for her. She was a perfect recluse, and apparently perfectly contented. Sometimes, indeed, while surveying the country from her nursery window, she would observe, Ellen, how long will it be before I can walk to the top of those hills? I wonder what lies on the other side. Is it the sea? No, Miss Cathy, I would answer, it is hills again, just like these. And what are those golden rocks like when you stand under them, she once asked. The abrupt descent of Peniston Crags particularly attracted her notice especially when the setting sun shone on it and the topmost heights, and the whole extent of landscape besides lay in shadow. I explained that they were bare masses of stone, with hardly enough earth in their clefts to nourish a stunted tree. And why are they so bright so long after it is evening here? she pursued. Because they are a great deal higher up than we are, replied I. You could not climb them. They are too high and steep. In winter, the frost is always there before it comes to us, and deep into summer, I have found snow under that black hollow on the northeast side. Oh, you've been on them, she cried gleefully. Then I can go too when I am a woman. Has Papa been, Ellen? (laughs) Has Papa been? Oh, Ellen, has Papa been to the stones? Her imagination, even at this young age seems to travel no further than just beyond her window. But we know how expansive the minds of young people get. 
and soon she will dream of Gimmerton and perhaps uh, the great American cities beyond. Philadelphia, New York City, and such. Or perhaps even London across the pond. That is just the fate of the young, and poor Edgar Linton is only going to be able to keep her bottled up for so long before she rebels, and I suspect that's where we're heading with poor Kathy Linton. But we'll find out in due time. Let's take a little break, and then we shall return here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure, Kathy Linton dreaming of the horizons beyond the nursery windows of Wuthering Heights and poor Ellen Dean perhaps romanticizing those sights that Kathy has yet to lay eyes on herself. Has Papa been, Ellen? (laughs) Uh, God, I'm such an idiot. All right. Papa would tell you, miss, I answered hastily, that they are not worth the trouble of visiting. The moors, where you ramble with him, are much nicer. Everybody's rambling the goddamn moors. Why don't they just walk through the moors? You know? Why don't they just take a hike through the moors? Nope, you gotta ramble. It's always rambling. Are much nicer, and Thrushcross Park is the finest place in the world. But I know the park, and I don't know those, she murmured to herself. And I should delight to look round me from the brow of that tallest point. My little pony Minnie shall take me some time. One of the maids, mentioning the fairy cave, quite turned her head with the desire to fulfill this project. She teased Mr. Linton about it, and he promised she should have the journey when she got older. But Miss Catherine measured her age by months, and now am I old enough to go to Peniston Crags? was the constant question in her mouth. I remember there was a there was like a little footnote about Penistone Crags. 
that was very curious. Um, it seemed to be a pun on the word penis, or as I suppose some people say penis, and uh, never quite understood that as a pun, never quite understood why that would be funny or punny or anything. But, you know, that's where she wants to go. She wants to go to the penis. Oh, I guess that is funny. Maybe there's a maybe there's a kind of sexual energy there at Penistone Crags or something that we're not aware of. Maybe when she goes there, she will meet the ultimate cock, Mr. Heathcliff himself. And there have her head turned round. Hard to say. Now am I old enough to go to Penistone Crags? Was the constant question in her mouth. The road thither would close by Wuthering Heights. Edgar had not the heart to pass it, so she received as constantly the answer, Not yet, love, not yet. I said Mr. Mrs. Heathcliff lived about a dozen years after quitting her husband. Her family were of a delicate constitution. She and Edgar both lacked the ruddy health that you will generally meet in these parts. What her last illness was, I am not certain. I conjecture... They died of the same thing, a kind of fever, slow at its commencement, but incurable, and rapidly consuming life towards the close. She wrote to inform her brother of the probable conclusion of a four months indisposition under which she had suffered, and entreated him to come to her if possible, for she had much to settle, and she wished to bid him adieu, and deliver Linton safely into his hands. Her hope was that Linton might be left with him, as he had been with her. His father, she would fain convince herself, had no desire to assume the burden of his maintenance or education. So she thinks she's dying, which she is, and she says, Hey, Ed, come on over. I want to give you my kid. And remember, this is her and Heathcliff's kid. Will you come by, will you? And we'll settle our, our grievances and settle our debts to each other. And, and then... You know, I'm dying, so you can raise me and Heathcliff's kid. And, of course, we know that Heathcliff will not let that stand. Heathcliff has already said, uh, at some point, I'm going to get my talons into this kid's skin and drag him back to Wuthering Heights with me, where I will teach him to bite the heads off bats. He hasn't, he didn't say that exactly, but, you know, that's what will happen. So, uh, what happens? My master hesitated not a moment in complying with her request. Reluctant as he was to leave home at ordinary calls, he flew to answer this, commending Catherine to my peculiar vigilance in his absence with reiterated orders that she must not wander out of the park, even under my escort. He did not calculate on her going unaccompanied. He was away three weeks. The first day or two, my charge sat in a corner of the library, too sad for either reading or playing. In that quiet state she caused me little trouble, but it was succeeded by an interval of impatient, fretful weariness, and being too busy and too old then to run up and down amusing her, I hit on a method by which she might entertain herself. I used to send her on travels round the grounds, now on foot and now on a pony, indulging her with a patient audience of all her real and imaginary adventures when she returned. The summer shone in full prime, and she took such a taste for this solitary rambling, again with the rambling. I feel like we should just, you know, give the old trumpet toot every time we hear the goddamn word ramble in this book. But it's always rambling to and fro. 
that she often contrived to remain out from breakfast till tea, and then the evenings were spent in recounting her fanciful tales. I did not fear her breaking bounds, because the gates were generally locked, and I thought she would scarcely venture forth alone if they had stood wide open. Well, then you don't know 12- and 13-year-olds, do you, Miss Ellen Dean, because that's all they want to do is venture out alone into the world. You know, they are practically young adults at that point. In my tradition, the Jewish tradition, you have a bar bat mitzvah, you know, and then you, you're welcomed into the community of adults. And there's a reason that it happens at that age, because that's when kids start to think of themselves as, you know, less than children, but certainly not quite adults, or more than children, I should say, but not quite adults. So she's going to, you know, on her rambles, you know, she's going to be tempted. And if you're not keeping a hawk's eye on her, she's going to go out of bounds. Out of bounds, I say. Unluckily, my confidence proved misplaced. Well, what did I just say? Come on, Ellen, you know better than this. You've been around generations of these kids. You know the trouble they get into. My goodness, her own mother used to go off into the moors with Heathcliff, running and bounding and screwing up and getting into all kinds of mischief. You didn't think her daughter, I understand her daughter has a different nature, but come on, the DNA remains the same. We're all encoded in the same ways. Catherine came to me one morning at eight o'clock and said she was that day an Arabian merchant going to cross the desert with his caravan, and I must give her plenty of provision for herself and beasts, a horse and three camels, personated by a large hound and a couple of pointers. Well, where do you suppose she's really going? Peniston Crags. I got together good store of dainties and slung them in a basket on one side of the saddle, and she sprang up as gay as a fairy, sheltered by her wide-brimmed hat and gauze veil from the July sun, and trotted off with a merry laugh, mocking my cautious counsel to avoid galloping and come back early. The naughty thing never made her appearance at tea. One traveler, the hound, being an old dog and fond of its ease, returned. But neither Kathy, nor the pony, nor the two pointers were visible in any direction, and I dispatched emissaries down this path and that path, and at last went wandering in search of her myself. There was a laborer working at a fence round a plantation on the borders of the grounds. I inquired of him if he had seen our young lady. "'I saw her at morn,' he replied." She would have me to cut her a hazel switch, and then she leapt her galloway over the hedge yonder, where it is lowest, and galloped out of sight. Oh, she went leppin' over a hedge, did she? Well, that's just how so many young ladies have gotten in trouble over the centuries, leaping over hedges on their ponies. My God, once you go over the... Isn't there an animated film called Over the Hedge or Through the Hedge or something? Well, what happens when you go over the hedge? You get into all kinds of trouble. Look what happened to Peter Rabbit, for God's sake, going over hedges. You know? It's that hedge. It's the damn hedge always causing trouble. You think it's going to protect you. You think, well, you plant a topiary. You think that's going to keep out all the world's ills. Well, it doesn't. No matter what any landscape architect will tell you, the hedge does not have any magical powers to keep out the world's ills. If anything, it'll just tempt people to jump over or dig under or machete their way through. You may guess how I felt at hearing this news. It struck me directly. She must have started for Peniston Crags. 
What will become of her, I ejaculated. Well, you can't say penis stone crags in, in one sentence and then ejaculated in the next. That's just not right, Emily. I don't care for it. I don't think it's funny. I don't like when you work blue like this. Pushing through a gap which the man was repairing and making straight to the high road, I walked as if for a wager, mile after mile, till a turn brought me in view of the heights, but no Catherine could I detect far or near. The crags lay about a mile and a half beyond Mr. Heathcliff's place, and that is four from the Grange, so I began to fear night would fall ere I could reach them. Well, it's only four miles, so five and a half miles from the Grange. If you walk, let's say, you know, three miles an hour, you should be there in about an hour and a half. I, I, you know, even at her advanced age, which I'm not that advanced, I'm guessing she could walk three miles an hour. Mile after mile. Come on. Don't be such a drama queen, Susan. (sighs) And what if she should have slipped in clambering among them, I reflected, and been killed or broken some of her bones? My suspense was truly painful, and at first it gave me delightful relief to observe, in hurrying by the farmhouse, Charlie, the fiercest of the pointers, lying under a window with swelled head and bleeding ear. What? Why are dogs... It's just dogs, dogs, dogs in this book. Getting into... Get, just tortured. Have, the, have there ever been so many tortured dogs in a book than in Wuthering Heights? A swollen head and bleeding ear, and why should that give her any delightful relief? I opened the wicket and ran to the door, knocking vehemently for admittance. A woman whom I knew, and who formerly lived at Gimmerton, answered. She'd been servant there since the death of Mr. Earnshaw. Ah, said she, you are come seeking your little mistress. Don't be frightened. She's here safe, but I'm glad it isn't the master. Oh, he's not home then, is he? I panted, quite breathless, with quick walking in alarm. No, no, she replied, both he and Joseph are off, and I think they won't return this hour or more. Step in and rest you a bit. I entered, and beheld my stray lamb seated on the hearth, rocking herself in a little chair that had been her mother's when a child. Her hat was hung against the wall, and she seemed perfectly at home, laughing and chattering, in the best spirits imaginable, to Hareton, now a great strong lad of eighteen. Well, now we know what happened to the dog. Hareton happened to the dog, no question. Now a great strong lad of eighteen, who stared at her with considerable curiosity and astonishment, comprehending precious little of the fluent succession of remarks and questions which her tongue never ceased pouring forth. "'Very well, miss,' I exclaimed, concealing my joy under an angry countenance. "'This is your last ride till Papa comes back. I'll not trust you over the threshold again, you naughty, naughty girl.' "'Aha, Ellen!' she cried gaily, jumping up and running to my side. "'I shall have a pretty story to tell tonight, and so you found me out. "'Have you ever been here in your life before?' "'Oh, if only she knew, right? "'Oh, the stories Ellen could tell, and in fact is telling to us, "'but not to Miss Cathy's delicate young ears.' "'Put that hat on and home at once,' I said. I'm dreadfully grieved at you, Miss Cathy. You've done extremely wrong. It's no use pouting and crying. That won't repay the trouble I've had, scouring the country after you. 
to think how Mr. Linton charged me to keep you in, and you stealing off so. It shows you are a cunning little fox, and nobody will put faith in you any more. Well, come on, now let's not ha- let's not be quite so harsh here, shall we, please, Ellen? Nobody will put faith in you any more. It's fine to scold the child, but let's not make a whole federal case out of it. We understand she's worried. We understand she's not thrilled. The little gal ended up at Wuthering Heights and talking to that brute Hareton. But let's, you know, let's maybe get her home and and uh, give her a stern but fair reprimand without all this nonsense. What have I done? Sobbed she, instantly checked. Papa charged me nothing. He'll not scold me, Ellen. He's never cross like you. Come, come, I repeated. I'll tie the ribbon. Now, let us have no petulance. Oh, for shame. You, 13 years old and such a baby. Well, you can't call a 13-year-old. My goodness. Ellen, you're doing this all wrong. Have you not read uh, Mr. Spock and, and or Dr. Spock and his book on parenting? Have you not read the latest child-rearing guidance? You don't call kids names. You don't body shame or slut shame them or anything. You know, you, you raise them up. You make them feel good. This exclamation was caused by her pushing the hat from her head and retreating to the chimney out of my reach. Nay, said the servant, don't be hard on the bonny lass, Mrs. Dean. Well, that's what I said. Don't be hard on the bonny lass. We made her stop. She'd fain have ridden forwards, afeard you should be uneasy. But Hareton offered to go with her, and I thought he should. It's a wild road over the hills. Is there going to be a goddamn love story between Hareton and Miss Cathy? Is that where we're headed? Because Hareton is pure evil. Hareton's heart is black as coal. And he's going to do her wrong just like uh, Heathcliff did to Isabella. Because Heathcliff has basically raised Hareton and poisoned him. Hareton, during the discussion, stood with his hands in his pockets, too awkward to speak, though he looked as if he did not relish my intrusion. How long am I to wait? I continued, disregarding the woman's interference. It will be dark in ten minutes. Where is the pony, Miss Cathy, and where is Phoenix? I shall leave you unless you be quick, so please yourself. The pony's in the yard, she replied, and Phoenix is shut in there. He's bitten, and so is Charlie. I was going to tell you all about it, but you're in a bad temper and don't deserve to hear. I picked up her hat and approached to reinstate it, but perceiving that the people of the house took her part, oh, took her part, she commenced capering round the room, and on my giving chase ran like a mouse over and under and behind the furniture, rendering it ridiculous for me to pursue. Hareton and the woman laughed, and she joined them and waxed more impertinent still, till I cried in great irritation, Well, Miss Cathy, if you were aware whose house this is, you'd be glad enough to get out. It's your father's, isn't it? said she, turning to Hareton. Nay, he replied, looking down and blushing bashfully. He could not stand a steady gaze from her eyes, though they were just his own. So wait, uh, so what is their relationship? Hareton is, uh, Hareton is uh, whose kid exactly? It's uh, it's her uncle. It's her it's her un- dead uncle's kid. So wait, she's not related to them at all. Oh yeah, because her mom is is the brother. Yeah, Hinley's brother. So yeah, it's her uncle's kid. So it's her cousin. And you know, in those days, all you know, cousins, all they did was 
was have sex. It's just, it was mostly, mostly cousins having sex in those days, you know? 90% of the cousins were having sex with each other. And that's just a fact, you know, that's just, you can look that up. That's just an, that's just a Googleable, a Googleable fact. Who's then? Your masters? She asked. He colored deeper with a different feeling, muttered an oath, and turned away. Who is his master? Continued the tiresome girl appealing to me. He talked about our house and our folk. I thought he'd been the owner's son. And he never said, Miss, he should have done, shouldn't he, if he's a servant? Hareton grew black as a thundercloud at this childish speech. I silently shook my questioner, and at last succeeded in equipping her for departure. Now get my horse, she said, addressing her unknown kinsman as she would one of the stable boys at the Grange, and you may come with me. I want to see where the goblin hunter rises in the marsh, and to hear about the fairishes, as you call them, but make haste. What's the matter? Get my horse, I say. I'll see thee damned before I be thy servant, growled the lad. You'll see me what? <laughs> what? You'll see me what? Asked Cathy in surprise. Damned, thou saucy witch. Ah, well, we said she was saucy, and she has proven to be so, he replied. There, Miss Cathy, you see, you got into pretty company, I interposed. Nice words to be used to a young lady. Pray don't mind to begin to dispute with him. Come, let us seek for Minnie ourselves and be gone. But Ellen, cried she, staring, fixed in astonishment. How dare he speak so to me? Mustn't he be made to do as I ask him? You wicked creature, I shall tell Papa what you said. Now then. Hareton did not appear to feel this threat. So the tears sprung into her eyes with indignation. You bring the pony. Oh, you bring the pony, she exclaimed, turning to the woman, and let my dog free this moment. Softly, miss, answered the addressed. You'll lose nothing by being civil. Though Mr. Hareton there be not the master's son, he's your cousin, and I was never hired to serve you. He, my cousin, cried Cathy with a scornful laugh. Yes, indeed responded her reprover. Oh, Ellen, don't let them say such things, she pursued in great trouble. Papa's gone to fetch my cousin from London. My cousin is a gentleman's son. That, my, she stopped and wept outright, upset at the bare notion of relationship with such a clown. Hush, hush, I whispered. People can have many cousins and of all sorts, Miss Cathy without being any the worse for it. Only they needn't keep their company if they be disagreeable and bad. He's not, he's not my cousin Ellen, she went on, gathering fresh grief from reflection and flinging herself into my arms for refuge from the idea. Well, a minute ago, she was laughing and having fun with him and, you know, and one might say even girlishly flirting with him. And now when she finds out he's her cousin, she gets all bent out of shape about it. Why? What's the problem? She doesn't know Hareton's nature, really, other than this flash of anger that uh, she's just seen. But it appears that we are headed for a new triumvirate, a second generation of a ungainly triumvirate. Repeating the previous generation, we had Heathcliff and uh, Catherine and uh, Hindley, all in a sort of three-armed scrum going through their adolescence. And now it seems as if we are going to repeat it. We will have 
the son of Heathcliff, the actual son of Heathcliff, who has been raised, as she says, a gentleman's son by Isabella, though he had no father. And he is probably well-mannered, but mother is dying, and so he is coming to live with them. But then you have Hareton, who is not Heathcliff's biological son, but has taken on his temperament. And then you have Catherine's daughter, Kathy II. And we can see where this is heading, um, a repeat of the previous generation, and probably with equally tragic results. We'll stop there. We'll pick it up next time, and we'll see how all of this unfolds in its ungainly, adolescent awkwardness and ugliness. So, as I say, we leave it there. We'll pick it up next time on another pubescent episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedron. We rely on you, the listeners, for support, so please go to patreon.com slash Black, and you will get early access to ad-free episodes and more content from me. That's patreon.com slash Black. See you next time.